Jazz Heads Radio. We find people whose heads are full of music and we delve inside just for you. Welcome to another episode of Jazz Heads. We're interviewing people who are passionate about their music and asking them to pick 10 tracks that they think everyone in the world should hear. We're starting with people involved with Wakefield Jazz and this evening we have Krista Saram, who is the promoter of Wakefield Jazz. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi Andy. You're responsible for bringing some incredible artists to our little Yorkshire town. How on earth do you do it? Well, after more than 12 years at it, it's actually easier than you might think. But I must say, when I was first asked to take over, I considered it a daunting task, even though I've been an enthusiast, well, virtually all my life, and know a great deal about what's going on in the jazz scene in the country. You really need to build up more than just knowledge, but you need to build up relationships with musicians and more particularly sometimes their agents. And when it gets to the point that I'm at now, having, as I said, been talking to those people for more than 12 years, the difficulty is the other way around. It's what to prune out from all the enormous number of contacts that I get, both emails, telephone calls, publicity of all sorts of other types. Um, and in the end, it's a question of trying to balance my taste with what I know the general level of taste in the Wakefield audience is, so that I keep myself happy, of course. There's nothing wrong with a promoter having his own particular taste, I think. <laughs> and keeping the audience happy more particularly, otherwise they're not going to come, are they? No, and then we, we very, very rarely have any complaints. It's the, the range of artists that you bring to the club is fantastic, and I, I know... Everybody has their own particular taste and their own particular style. Um, but I think that uh, people welcome the range that you bring and the exposure they to have to artists that they wouldn't naturally listen to. Well, I hope that's true, because if it's true, then that's exactly what I appreciate myself. I'm very easily bored, and, you know, if I get used <laughs> to something, I want to move on to something else and then find the next thing, and whatever's new is also interesting. Might not work, but I'd like to find out at any rate. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fantastic club. Um, and I know you've got a huge range of artists uh, that you've picked uh, to, uh, for us to play tonight. Uh, how did you pick your first one? Well, that was easy because I, was, I tried to go back to where it was in my life that I first got into jazz. And I remember as a very young child listening to a radio with my ear literally right up against the speaker and finding things like the jazz players on The Goon Show, uh, the most interesting music out there. I, didn't, I don't think I knew it was jazz at that time. I just thought, hey, I like that. And then in my teens, when I was at school, we formed a little rock band ourselves. And once we were down rehearsing at our singer's parents' house in South Shields, and his dad, who was a solicitor, got a bit grumpy about the racket we were making. And he said, sort of when we were finally packing away, hey, guys, if you want to hear some proper music, have a listen to this. And he put on an Art Tatum track. And Art Tatum was a pianist who was as virtuosic as it was possible to be in those days. And virtuosity is something I really appreciate, you know. Uh, and not only that, after he'd finished blowing our minds, well, my mind at any rate, he said, and you know he was blind, don't you? Which I didn't at that stage. But 
Art Tatum has always therefore held a very firm place in my uh, history of listening as it were and this track shows off just what he can do and the title is Tiger Rat that's right Uh, as you said, pure virtuosity. And interestingly, 1917. So you've got you know Battle of Passchendaele going on, you've got the Russian Revolution and this incredible music uh, coming out of America. Uh, next, Chris, I know you've, uh, you've picked a Miles Davis track, um, something relatively recent. Yeah, well, the next thing, apart from virtuosity in a musician which I am in awe of, uh, is creativity. Um, the the fact that you have to spend 10,000 hours practicing to get your, an instrument under your command properly is only half of a jazz musician's job. The next job is to have the sort of brain that actually can make worthwhile listening to music up on the spot. And of course, as far as Miles Davis is concerned, that was his forte. He never stopped being creative through, throughout his own life, which is why he kept moving on. The styles of Miles go from... Uh, obviously bebop originally then to the cool school to modal jazz and even towards the end when he went into fusion music with a rock background he was still being inf incredibly creative in fact this is from his last really good album Amandla and it's a funky funky track where he's still actually playing and not just all space it's Jojo Thank you. 
Well, I uh, I really really like that. That's uh, yeah, really funky, like you said, Chris. Uh, I know. Uh, next, you've picked one of your favourite artists of all time and something really, really uh, creative. Yeah, Sonny Rollins has played a very large part in my listening life because uh, although he's the last artist I've chosen that I never actually saw play live, he also went throughout his entire life um, never satisfied unless he was being creative in what he did. In fact, you may know the story about him taking time out from playing in public to practice on a bridge in New York, just to woodshed and woodshed and woodshed until he felt he'd got his chops in the right sort of order. He could play extremely lengthy solos with absolutely not a single bar repeated anywhere where a tune was turned inside out, upside down, always round, and it just flowed and flowed and flowed and flowed. Um, also, although he started as a bebopper, he went towards what they now call hard bop, I suppose, but was still basically playing on the chords. And I'll say something more about this later. But it, in Considering that he had that as a constraint, I think that's how I would see it. His creativity was unending. And which track of you... Oh, yes. This is a track from uh, an album with the title of his most famous tune, Don't Stop the Carnival. Mm -hmm. uh, but in fact, I've chosen a different one, Autumn Nocturne. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
So many jazz artists have their own unique style. Uh, 
and it's lovely to be able to explore them with you here, Chris. I know the one that you've picked next uh, is, uh, you know, very famous in his own right, um, a unique pianist. Absolutely. And this takes me right back to my university days because I was lucky enough to go to a university that was on the pop circuit in those days and had all the biggest names coming round, attracting huge audiences, making loads of money. And we had a music committee that was enlightened enough to spend that money attracting jazz acts. And Thelonious Monk's quartet actually came to play when I was there. Uh, that was an absolutely outstanding experience. Um, as you say, he's a pianist, and I think it's hard on the piano to create your own particular sound. But his quirky way of playing and his choice of harmonies, uh, not particularly virtuosic compared with uh, other people that I've chosen today, but very, very distinctive. And I'm having my own cake and eat it here because I've chosen a track which also features John Coltrane, another real innovator within the world of jazz with his own very, very distinctive voice. Um, it's a track which might, I think, be an Ellington number originally, and if I'm right, and I've opened a correction here, I believe Ellington named it after a piano teacher he once had, a Mrs Trinkle. This is Trinkle's Tinkle. Thank you. 
Chris, uh, I know uh, you've got something for us next that uh, connects the knitting factory in New York with the Moscow State <laughs> Yes. Okay, well, um, I'm leaping on now because I'm into a period in my life when I was lucky enough to go fairly regularly to visit New York and explore the jazz scene there. Um, and it was at the time when musicians had got together in what they used to call the loft scene to create 
quotes new music and then as it became a little bit more established those musicians moved to the venue called the Knitting Factory and amongst those and people like Marty Ehrlich and Yuri Kane the pianist was a drummer called Bobby Previtt who it is true had at some time spent a few years in Moscow uh, playing composing for the Moscow State Circus <laughs> goodness knows what the music he did for them was like but he came back to lead his own bands in the, in the UK in the States rather and I was lucky enough to see him in the knitting factory and then a couple of times in Leeds because Leeds Jazz managed to bring him across in fact on one occasion it was his birthday and they got a birthday cake for him but his music is definitely a drummer's music you'll hear that but it's also a fabulous mixture between accessible and advanced. The musicians he leads are really, really superb advanced jazz players, but the tunes he writes are very accessible, so it has that feel that, oh yeah, I think I know what's going on here. Well, it depends how level, how sophisticated your level of listening is, but there's a lot going on. Uh, this is a band that he used to call Weather Clear Track Fast, and the track is Smack Dab.
what a what an excellent track that was. And uh, you you saw Bobby Previtt live. What what uh, what was it like? What was the club like? Oh, it, it's a real experience. It. Um, it wasn't quite such a surprise when I got to go into the knitting factory, but what surprised me most about New York was, as, as well as the really pricey tourist traps like the Blue Note, there were loads and loads and loads and loads of other clubs that you think of as really well-known because you've heard of them in the UK, but then you hunt them out and you find them, and they are the typical downstairs cellar dump of a jazz club. I mean, the Village Vanguard's a bit like that. Um, I remember there's another club on West Houston Street called the Zinc Bar, which is, is absolutely filled with brilliant musicians every night. But the gents' toilet is behind the band. You have to walk through the band to go and have a pee. <laughs> it's just amazing. Anyway, the Knitting Factory was um, um, way south on Manhattan in a pretty seedy district. I don't remember exactly where now, but clearly is an industrial building that was about to fall apart and then somebody took it over. It had several floors, many of them performance spaces, two main performance spaces, but they also had music in the bar, which was not to pay for. Um, and the bar prices weren't too bad, as long as you remembered to tip the barman or you wouldn't get a second drink. <laughs> that was my first mistake when I went there. Anyway, it, it was just, you know, seedy, dim-lit, dusty, bare floorboards, all that stuff. But, you know, who cares? The music was just top-rate. Fantastic. And are the clubs still like that? So if you went to New York now, do you think it's a similar experience? Absolutely, because as soon as something classy closes down because it's overstretched itself, something else CD opens up maybe in a garage. Literally, there are clubs that run in garages, for example, definitely all around the place. It's the same in London, you know. Something closes down, something else tiny opens up, uh, eventually it builds a reputation and overstretches itself and runs out of cash. I don't know how the people who run the really classy joints like Ronnie's or uh, the Spice of Life, for example, actually manage to keep it going. Uh, I suppose they just somehow manage to pull the tourists in. Mm. Anyway, it's very much like that. There's not a lot of money in most of jazz. Yeah, well, we've kept the, uh, the club going in Wakefield for, well, it's not far off 30 years now. That's right. May this year, it'll be celebrating its 30th anniversary. May next year, I should say, 2017. Yeah, great. So next up, you have um, uh, David Murray, who plays sax on this particular track. That's right. He's another musician with an absolutely distinctive sound, best known as leader of the World Saxophone Quartet, very, very sophisticated um, set of musicians, although they, they vary occasionally. Tony Kofi from Britain has played with mm. them. But they are so well integrated that they literally sound like a single organism when they play you. Hard to distinguish the individual voices. But he's run an awful lot of uh, bands of his own, particularly recorded in Italy on the Black Saint label and very often featuring and he's one of those musicians who is really uh, clever in his composition he can write a really catchy tune and this is a catchy dancing tune it was written for his wife Ming and is a samba that's why it's called Ming's Samba but once he gets away from the head the, the introduction with the actual main tune just Watch where he goes, because he takes off in a flight of fancy which is as creative as anything you would want to listen to. David Murray's Ming Sub.
could uh, you could certainly dance dance to that, uh, and I do I do love tracks that are uh, like that samba where it's a track you can dance to, but it goes free. So it's it's the rhythm and the passion with just the imagination. It's, yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely what he perfect. does. Yes. So ne next you have for us, Chris. Um, you've got Django Bates, so you know multi instrumentalist, uh, you know wide ranging composer. And the album you've picked here is, uh, I understand, all Charlie Parker, but you might not know it. Well, quite. I mean, Django Bates is, I'm shocked to say, I've only just realised it, the only British musician on my list. That's that's accident, but it, I'm glad there is somebody in there. Of course, most famous for creating, well, co-creating Loose Tubes, the big band from the late 80s, which was revived two or three years ago, still playing fabulous music because it's full of the best British musicians who are all right at the top of their game at the moment, but constantly creative. Um, he decided he was going to get a trio together, which would specialise in playing nothing but Charlie Parker themes, Beloved Bird was the name of the band and the album. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to say that again, I think it's the only band on this list that's been to Wakefield Jazz. He brought Beloved Bird to Wakefield. And yes, if you listen really, really hard and you know you're Charlie Parker, and it's all very, very well known, really, it's all in there. But Django, of course, just takes it as far as he possibly can. Uh, distorts it, twists it, plays it in different ways, goes freely away from the theme altogether and then comes back to it. Everything that a brilliant, brilliant jazz musician can do, he does. And this track, oh yes, of course, contains a really, really almost naff little theme known as Little Red Shoes, which is definitely a Charlie Parker number. Uh, so you will recognize bits, but most of it is sheer creativity.
So from uh, Beloved Bird to, uh, well, an album title that we can't say on the radio, Chris. <laughs> well, yes, I, I admire Branford Marsalis as daring for calling the album Four MFs Playing Tunes. That's how they think about themselves, apparently. Anyway, Branford Marsalis is obviously part of the Marsalis dynasty, Winton Marsalis's brother. Uh, and whereas they had started off playing together in a very contemporary style, Winton has moved across to leading the uh, Lincoln Centre Jazz Orchestra, playing relatively conventional jazz, whereas Branford has remained contemporary throughout his life and has always put great bands together, apart from on one occasion... I'm not saying it wasn't a great band, but he did have a spell when he decided he'd try his hand at creating, well, hip-hop music. And he put a band together called Bookshop La Funk, which is amazing. Very, very different from anything else he ever did. Uh, full of showmanship, bright colours and almost fireworks, etc. Anyway, this is more like what you'd expect to hear from Branford Marsalis, a wonderfully created tune in which the band contains the superb drummer Jeff Tain Watts. And I can't remember whether Jeff wrote the tune, because he might have done, but it's certainly dedicated to him, and it's titled Whiplash.
shorter. Yep, a long-surviving musician who's been around for years and years and years and years, still amazingly playing brilliantly well, a musician who continued to develop right throughout his playing career, and for some people has now gone a bit too far, his music's a bit too intellectual. Um, I was telling you a minute ago that I went to a concert of his with the quartet featuring Danilo Paris on piano, uh, in Harrogate, where quite a sizable proportion of the audience walked out after a bit because it was just too much for them. I'm very sorry to hear that. But I haven't chosen the track from that period for us to listen to okay. because I obviously wanted people to enjoy some of what we're playing at any rate. Uh, this is from an album of his called Alegria, which I think um, has Latin American connections. And although this track has an African connection. It's called Angola. You hear the Latin sounds at the beginning at any rate. A classic Wayne Shorter track.
was uh, that was a great track, Chris. Uh, and we've got something quite incredible to finish on. Uh, Chris Potter, I know you rate as uh, one of the best guys around. What to, tell us about Chris and tell us what to listen out for okay. in this track. Well, I would say not just one of the best. I think Chris Potter is the best jazz musician in the world today. Um, he's done a long apprentice, but he's played with all the greats in New York. Uh, when he came across to Britain last, he was with a Dave Holland sextet, outstanding player in both the features that I really rate. In other words, virtuosity and creativity. Um, if you want to check out his those two features, on YouTube, there are quite a number of Chris Potter features that have been transcribed. In other words, solos that somebody else has listened to 20 million times until he could write down the notes that he's actually played. And if you try and follow, assuming you can read music at all, if you try and follow that written music with what's coming out of his instrument, it is just amazing to believe that one, he's got that command of his instrument, the virtuosity, and two, he's got that sort of head that can create unbelievably complex lines that just move from one idea to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, in a completely seamless flow. It's wonderful. Now, what you need to listen out for is just how unusual the musical line of thought is. He is playing to the chords of the tune, but he's playing at the extremes of those connections, I would say. Anyway, Chris Potter, the man. (laughs) 